if you're afraid that a book might change someone's thinking, then you're not afraid of books, you're afraid of thinking. I love that. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was Kayla. I'm Brandy. Welcome back to our bookcast. We're two bitches reading books. And <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people in, in the United States or maybe even worldwide are afraid of thinking. I think that's excellent. It is. It's so funny. I was watching, a, I just watched a TikTok earlier today about this teacher that had um, banned book week is September 18th through 24. And a teacher had put up a display that's like, oh, if you read one of these banned books, I'll give you a free book and you get a sticker, yada, yada. And there were a lot of books on there that I didn't know was banned, like uh, Lord of the Flies, Twilight, Hunger Games. Twilight? Yeah. Hunger okay. Games. And then a couple other ones. And I was just like, wow. Why is Twilight banned anywhere? I don't know, but I guess a parent complained about it. And so the principal had a talk with her and told her that she needs to take it down. And she's like, I'm a teacher to like 700 students, not one. So it's staying up. And I was like, Oh, and then I was just like, this is what happens when parents demand to have like a choice, a decision in the schools. They know nothing. So when you Google, why is Twilight banned? The first thing that pops up is from bbark.deepforestproductions.com saying Twilight was banned for being sexually explicit, unsuited to age group, and promoting a religious viewpoint. Wow. I mean, I guess in the last book they have sex, but the sexually explicit things that are happening throughout the book is mostly intense eye contact. <laughs> Interesting. Well, of course, some parent got their panties in a bunch about that because the parents are the ones who probably complain about these books in the first place and get them banned. Exactly. I thought it was weird that Lord of the Flies was there because I was like, I read that in high school. They made me read that. They made us watch the movie, too. And that yes. shit was like, I hated that. I yeah. feel like I'm still afraid of groups of men because of that book because they just turn on each other. Yeah. They like imprisoned one of the boys in a cage, didn't they? That shit was crazy. Yes. yes. And then they didn't like one fall off a cliff or like they threw rocks at him or something. Like Yeah, there was definitely a lot of cliff situations. I feel like they would like walk people up there to threaten them or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly because that was a while ago, but I'm traumatized from reading Lord of the Flies. Yeah, and so I was like, when did that happen? That's Not soon enough. Yeah, so. Oh my gosh. That. But like, it, it taught you a lesson, right? So I don't know. I don't know whose side I'm on in regards to banning Lord of the Flies. Okay, so let's get into this reading. It really took me off guard the last two chapters of what we read, like. I did not, did not see that coming. Me either. <laughs> so let's freaking get there as fast as we can. <laughs> let's do it. So we can but, unpack. Right, exactly. We start on page 108, like relatively tame. It's snowing outside. This made me realize like, oh, I kind of want to go back to where it snows. Yep, I said it. And I miss <laughs> wearing jackets. So it's snowing outside. Uh, they haven't had snow in a while. Yeah. This is River's first time seeing snow, their little fox. Yeah. And she's being really cute, like dogs do, trying to attack the snowflakes. Yes. And so I'm still like gosh, how far in the future is this? Because global warming now. Right. She's talking about global warming and 
there's a lot of parts in this reading that have me wondering what time period it is because she also charges her phone with kinetic energy while she walks. So like it's close enough to now that there's global warming issues like it hasn't been snowing, but far enough that there's kinetic charging on your phone. Crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. So she's watching River and also like thinking about how important like music is in their life, which is pretty cute. And obviously it is. That's how she makes money. It's how their magic works. She talks about how she already has calluses on her thumbs because of playing her Invira. And then she asks Izzy if she does her homework. And she's a real mom. She's a real mom. And Izzy says, fuck's sake. And this kind of starts a little argument and Ropa goes to try and discipline Izzy, but Grand steps in and is like, you can't like Grand tries to be this voice of reasoning. Ropa's like, am I hearing French in this house? Je ne parle pas français. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was really good. Thanks. Oh, Four man. years of French class. That's all I yeah. know. Grand really is like the voice of reason. She misspoke. No, she fucking didn't misspeak, but thanks, Grand. <laughs> And I think it's funny because we used to cuss when I was growing up. We would get uh, soap in our mouth, and Rope is going to put soap in Izzy's mouth. It's a classic punishment, and it's hard to get away from the classics if they work well, you know? Mm -hmm. It is. She says she doesn't like having to do this, but you don't mess with big sis like that. Next, the little shit will be cut in school and running with the slum urchins. She knows. She says she's seen girls younger than her end up on the flesh market, and I'm not going to let that happen. She just has so much on her shoulders, on her 14-year-old shoulders. She does. She does. So it it just gets worse. Yeah, Ropa's not letting it go. She is laying into her to the point where Izzy starts crying, and Grant's finally like, no, we're not doing this anymore, breaks him up. She says, don't worry, me and Izzy are going to have a little chat about how the anteater lost his tongue. (laughs) Gran's a scary lady, and she has a lot. She's got a lot in her personality, okay? She's not just this sweet little lady who knits all the time, okay? She's not. This anteater story will scar you, and you will change your ways, according to Ropa. She is still traumatized from (laughs) the time she first said fuck. She doesn't explain the anteater story, does she? She sort of says it's just a hip anteater who ends up pissing off the ancestors on account of his long tongue. And then disproportionately disastrous repercussions happen to him. Mm. And um, we're left to our own imaginations there. (laughs) But ancestors are typically, like, dead. They don't give a fuck about you. They probably cut his tongue out. Okay. Probably. If you trespass in a library in this book, you hang until you expire by the neck. So I imagine that it's a pretty serious consequence. Yeah. Then Grand starts on a story with Izzy hanging on her neck, and then um, Ropa just goes back to the dishes. Yeah. She finishes cleaning and then ends up starting the book that Sir Calendar. Are we calling him Calendar? Calendar. I think it's calendar. I've been I've been reading it as calendar. Yeah, that's how I've been reading it too. She starts reading his book and honestly, when I read this title the first time, I just like glanced past the italicized text. And then she says there's a title that could tranquilize an elephant. I was like, okay, I'll fucking read it then. <laughs> I can't even read it out loud though. It's like thaumaturgical 
Inquiries Concerning the Thermodynamic Aspects of the Second Science by W. Thompson. <laughs> it sounds like the thickest, heaviest, unyieldingest textbook ever. And I'm sure the pages in it are not easy to read. Oh my gosh, right? I remember like trying to actually sit down and read chapters from my accounting textbooks. Oh God, it'll make your eyes burn. I just literally couldn't. I would just like, it would go blurry. You know, mm. you know, when you just can't even focus and it just all blurs. Yeah. <laughs> that would be me. 15 minutes would pass and I'd be like, oh, should I haven't turned the page? Let me, let me get on that. <laughs> that's exactly what I would have been. I'm like, oh, lost everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. But she's deciding she's going to force herself to read this, whether it's good or not, because she was just getting on her sister about not doing her schoolwork. So she can't be slacking off herself. Got to set a good example for the kid. Yep. She's talking uh, about how it's a little different reading it instead of hearing the sound of somebody else's voice. She likes hearing somebody else's voice. And I was thinking about this too. Like Sir Calendar. I wouldn't have to decide how to pronounce his name if this was an audiobook. Somebody true. else is deciding how to pronounce their name and I'm happy for it. Although I will say I listened to a few of the Witcher's books on audiobook and in the middle of the series they change how they pronounce one of the characters' names and I'm wondering like did the author change his name in the book or did the dude recording the audio just realize that he's been pronouncing the name the wrong the whole time? <laughs> oh that's interesting but also that would bother me. It does bother me. Also, the character whose name changes in the middle of the audiobook series, his name is not the same in the series on Netflix, and it drives me fucking crazy. It took me, like, two books to figure out who they were even talking about. She says that this book is really eye-opening, and it opened up her third eye, and she's going to have to tell Calendar about it, because in the book, it says magic isn't inert or organic. It's something that just happens that you have to basically practice to get it together and which is something that kind of I feel like it makes her think to when Gran was teaching her how to make the glass ball exactly like this guy is explaining it in different terms than Gran did and it's like helping her create paths and understand it by having like different angles to look at it from so that's what you need sometimes I mean, it's finally clicking for her. And thank fucking God, because she's going to need some magic by the end of our reading. Yeah. <laughs> Did you happen to notice the sentence, this stuff's Brill on 112? Yes. Brill means wonderful slash excellent. Oh, interesting. So I'm learning a lot of um, lingo I'm never going to get to use because I live in the United States. <laughs> nice. So she says right here at the end of 112, she knows where she's been getting it wrong. First principles and all that. Gran's been trying to get me to do this earth stuff, but Thompson points out the first fire was magic or the first true magic was fire. And then 113 is kind of explaining how humans got fire. <laughs> it's like a scary story. About Zeus and... Yeah, he would like throw a thunderbolt at earth and it would strike something and start a fire. And that was the only way humans could get fire. So they like made a plan to like get the fire without Zeus's thunderbolt. And then Zeus got pissed off. Petty gods. <laughs> Very petty. Yeah. And so then on 114, if there's nothing left you have on 113, it's just kind of finishing off her reading the book. Yeah. 
And it's making sense. She says this stuff's pure fire. Every neuron in me noggin's blazing up like it's the 5th of November. I was kind of sad at the last sentence here on 114 when she was like, Gran can't even dream of teaching me this stuff because she's not a real magician who went to school. I was like, "Uh, I mean, she's not a magician who went to school, but I wouldn't say that means she's not a real magician. She's not a classically trained magician, I I would maybe say. Yeah. Something tells me by the end of this book, she's going to be like, I should have never said my grand was not a real magician. Yeah. And also, like, experience overworks school, in my personal ex- opinion. Experience does trump school in a lot of exam, in a lot of almost all of the time. Like, if you go to college and get thrown straight into your career, you're not going to be able to start from day one and pick everything up because you're told the very fundamentals, the basics. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, I feel like Gran is going to help her by the end and she's going to be able to connect all this shit back to what Gran was trying to tell her because she's set the foundation for Ropa. Okay. The foundation is important. That's what I hope too. And we go into the next chapter on page 115 with Ropa talking about how Gran is pretty cool and how when she gets older, she wants to be just like her. And then someone, we go to someone knocking on the trailer door and it's a doctor. Yeah. Ropa's kind of talking about how back in the day, they got a call from a, a farmer who was super desperate and took them out to his farm to help with some magic shit. I don't know how far back in the day it is. She just said when she was little and she's kind of talking on page 116 about um, her gramps and he was a drunk. Yeah. He's uh, this makes me sad. She says she remembers his scent. It smelled like bathtub gin. And I'm like, pine trees? Yeah. She can't fault Gramps, though, because he was a happy drunk. And since nobody was at the house to look after them, because he was probably off drinking and chewing craps, gambling was his real love, um, Gran had to take the kids to this desperate farmer because he could not take no for an answer right now. And they go out to the house. And this is like one of the only times they ever rode in a truck, I guess. I had to Google what an A702 is what is in the that? middle of this page. It's a type of windmill. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They are here because the farmer's land is haunted, and the farmers never believed in that kind of stuff. Yeah. They've lived in this house for eight months, and it's just now starting to act up, and Graham's like, their activity grows stronger over time, and if you're not a believer, you often miss the early warning signs that something unnatural is going on, and that made me laugh, because I feel like Graham is kind of being like, well, ignorance is bliss, isn't it, you fucking fools? That's what I think, too. (sighs) Yeah, so Izby is a baby, because Graham hands it to Ropa. Oh, and she says, she handed me the baby. Yep, while she's talking with the farmer's wife. And they're, like, just describing all the stuff that's gone on and how the previous owners didn't tell them that the stuff was going on because they were cowards. Because they're not, they're not cowards. They're capitalists, honey. And when you're trying to sell the house, you're not telling about the bad neighbors. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and Grant's just like, well, I believed you promised dinner after, like, catching the eye of something that Ropa couldn't see through the barn door. 
And I was like, oh, that's where Ropa gets it from. Exactly. You always get everything you can out of them. Yes. They end up in the dining room because it's time for dinner. Obviously, Grant's not going to work on an empty stomach. You must be crazy. And they have stovies and mushy peas. And I had to look up what a stovie is. And it's basically just stew. Ugh. And homemade lamb mints. They say it's good. <laughs> Interesting. I did look up something later on in the book. And I was like, oh, Brandy would be proud. So <laughs> I'm excited to hear what it is. <laughs> and then after they eat, Grand's like, okay, a viable and or a vile and horrible deed was done upon this land many generations ago. And she goes on to talk about just a super sad story about how <sighs> this lady walked out to the barn, she had her baby, she fell, the baby had its head on a rock and died. And Ooh. yeah. She's crying. The villagers come, found the baby, find blood on the lady's hands. And half of them are like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. And half of them are like, this bitch killed her baby because that's how some people are. And, oh gosh, not very long after, her oldest son drowns in a creek not far from their house. And she says back in those days, the townsfolk were like, this double misfortune must mean she's a witch. And uh, they have to drown her to death because that's how you punish witches, in their opinion. And before that happened, she decided to hang herself. Yeah, a very sad story. So now they're in the barn and Gran Ropa thought she was going to be able to sit inside. But Gran needed her out there to keep the barn door open. And she said, hold that door no matter what. Yeah, as if she knows that somebody's going to try to, and by somebody, I mean a spirit. A spirit's going to try to close that door. Yes. And Gran just kind of talks to the spirit, says a great wrong was done to you. That's true. Yet you hold not just yourself in the dark, but your child's soul too. And she's just basically telling the ghost that the people that live there now are not the ones who wronged her. Mm -hmm. And she's like firm like Ropa is like... Stop your complaining. You've been doing this for a hundred years now. It's time for you to move on. You're, you're not punishing the right people anymore. Mm-hmm. And Ropa feels something cold brush against her and make its way into the yard. And then she says a moment or two later, something small crawls past her ankles. And was that the baby? Uh, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. So Bran helped those people move on with some tough love. I'm wondering if this was the first time that Ropa got to see her grand at work. It does seem like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Her grand says thank you, told her she'd been brave, and Ropa mentions that her hands were bleeding from the splinters from the barn door. And that ends that chapter, and we're back out of her memory, and she's headed to the pits to do her, like, practice and meet Nicola. She's updating Nicola on... Uh, what she learned. Excuse me, I even took a nap before this. She's updating Nicola on what she learned and also trying to make some money. Yeah. And she brings River with her and she meets up with Mrs. Drummond, one of her loyal customers. Who sounds like a real uppity bee, let's be honest. It's Miss. It's not Miss, it's Mrs. Yes. I feel like I am just picturing my fifth grade teacher right now. Like a squat old lady. You know the type. Yep. Yep. 
And it's funny because Mrs. Drummond, she has family recipes that she's keeping secret that she literally took to her grave. And (laughs) now she's wanting Ropa to give these back to her family members. And I guess Ropa already tried and she said, I've already given up like four of my recipes and now it has to be like her best cake that she's ever made. She's like, they're probably not going to do it right, but I need to do it anyway. And so then they get to work. This, I feel bad for this lady. Like the bakery was her life and she just, you know, she can't move on thinking that her son and his husband are going to mess up her shit and rope is like okay you know what i have a plan and rope's plan is fucking genius because so she genius makes the money for her rent and helps this lady move on like this little 14 year old girl is very clever smart the next day they end up walking past like this fancy neighborhood she's saying that it's like in a different stratosphere the people that she goes to are rich so fucking rich they have teslas a Tesla four-wheeler plugged into the port near the house. They have Teslas still? I'm so shocked. And security cameras? She says the front garden alone could fit a few Karas, like the one her and her grand and sister live in. Maybe that's where they can take the Kara next. Yeah, maybe. So she ends up talking to the son and his husband, saying that she has Miss mrs drummond with her and this seems really unusual for her to like bring the ghost with her to deliver the message so it does yeah and to make sure that the couple knows that she's actually there she makes mrs drummond walk by colin so that he gets to feel her and he's like oh basically like that's really cold yeah so they believe her and they're able to actually Talk serious business because they trust her. They've done messages back and forth a few times. Mm-hmm. So she gets her Mbira out and starts playing to keep her earthed. Mrs. Drummond was able to keep her, like, form there without her magic yeah. for a long time. Good for her. Yeah. And, of course, Ropa's not going to let them go on without, like, discussing how this shit is going to work. And she's like, sorry to cut in, guys, but we have to deal with payment. I know it's exciting that your mom is here, but pay up. And Barry's like, can we do that later? And she's like, nope. It's company policy. I'm not allowed to. And in her head, she's like, naturally, I don't say I'm the company. (laughs) (laughs) That's clever, Ropa. So they end up, like, talking about how much money she's going to make, and that's a lot. She's going to get a dozen Dukes for now and an additional 10 shillings every hour after the first. Well, they're getting ready to make the cake, and Mrs. Drummond says, they're going to mess it up. And Ropa's like, just be cool. And the guys are like, what? And she's like, I'm not talking to you. So I'm sure that's kind of probably weird for them. She literally cannot move on to peace because she's so attached to, quite frankly, her job. Yeah. It makes me really sad. Yeah. They're making everybody participate in this cake making, even Ropa, even though in her head she's like, I'm just the translator. And she's talking about the apron that they make her put on. And it's just a buff dude with oiled up muscles riding a wave on a surfboard. I'm just That's like, so funny. My Lanta. You boys. <laughs> Miss Drummond is, like, so 
freaking agitated that she's pulsating it says she's not a type a person at all she sounds like no so pleasant to be around she's really passionate about her recipes because she does not want this shared with anyone anyone it's just it's so freaking crazy but her being so quite frankly anal about this is going to cause Roper to be there a long time and make a lot of money so whatever do it up mrs drummond be crazy make everything as hard for everybody as possible mm-hmm. and the first it starts out with she asks if they have ground almonds so Rupert relays that and colin says well i th- think we could try ground rice and then mrs drummond expands like a balloon yeah from the very first step <laughs> dare they yeah oh my gosh that's so funny. While all this is going on, they're like talking, arguing, whatever. Ropa's kind of watching TV. And there's a memoir about, it's called Becoming Sioben Kavanaugh. And we skipped over the part that these guys work in TV. They're very rich from working in TV. And they inherited their mom's, I think she's, yeah, she's one of the dude's mom's. So they're just trying to get even more rich by perfecting her cakes to sell those. Yeah, and then uh, because Ropa and her grand love to watch Shobin, Slaubin, however you say it. I say Shobin because there was a character on The Circle whose name was Shobin. But it was Is that how like you this. spell it? Yes. I do not know how to freaking read names. Yeah, and they would call him Shuby. I oh. only know because I watched the, the Circle. I could be completely wrong. So it might just be a total coincidence, but there is this person alive right now who is an assistant director in the casting department of something. Okay. Saving Grace. I just saw that and I was like, was that her? Ropa asks if they've met her because she loves them. And then she's like, I would do anything to meet her. And he goes, I've met people who've offered more than that. (laughs) More than a kidney and half a tit. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what Ropa offers. <laughs> oh, Lanta, what classy language. I've been saying this thing lately. I'm like, man, I would give my left tit to go back to Colorado. And I'm like, where did <laughs> I get that? But now I know. From Ropa. Her From 14-year-old Ropa. lingo that she's got. Thanks, Ropa. Oh, that's so funny. So they somehow get through it and are like moving on to making some jam with raspberries it seems like to put into the cake or whatever this is yeah i've never heard of this cake but i'm not like a classy cake lady i don't know shit about cakes so yeah (laughs) they're arguing to the bitter end about the thickness of everything and barry's like tell my grandmother we miss her and that we're so sorry she never got to see her grandkids yeah it is sad this is yeah. probably Ropa's best case, though, because she's going to hang out in this fancy-ass house, eat some cakes, and watch TV for hours. And I'm sure shillings heat. and hours. Oh, yeah, for sure. So then they finally get done, and they go to taste it. And Colin cuts three pieces, one for Ropa, one for himself, one for Barry. And she's like, just get a fourth to place it out symbolically for Mrs. Drummond. And Mrs. Drummond's like, how's the cake? And Ropa's like, delicious and so mrs drummond feels light as a feather now that she was able to get rid of this last recipe and she is free so ropa moves on 
Yeah, she went to peace. On page 134, Ropa's thinking she knows that Dedos can't take cake as an offering. The only offering she knows that they can take is spilled alcohol. <laughs> and that gave me a chuckle. That made me laugh, too. So, yeah, that ends chapter 19, and we're on chapter 20. Ooh, ooh, 135. Yeah, and she is walking once again. She's going to the library. This it's is cold a good out. chapter, too. It is. A lot of these are so good. I mean, not like the last two we read, but. Yeah. We get a lot of good information and backstory in this. When she goes to the library, she enters through the way that Jomo taught her. And she kind of gets stopped by someone and is like, you can't go this way. This is only for librarians. Like, the public has a specific way that they need to come in. And so then she has to go back around to find that entrance and go into the library that way. And she kind of remembers Jomo told her that librarians ascend and patrons descend. So... She's like, oh, shoot, that's that's what he meant when he said that. While she's walking up to the library, I thought it was really funny or not funny, funny, but funny, sad or funny, ironic. But she notices there's mule drawn carts as she is like walking past these streets in not Richville anymore. And I'm just like, she was just in a neighborhood with Teslas. And now we're like wood drawn carts like that is the wealth disparity in this this time, like. I mean, it could be next year. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. But anyway, she finally makes it to where this person, Sneedon, told her where she was supposed to go. It's a third pillar in something. And she's, like, touching it and touching it. And she doesn't see a door. And finally, it starts cracking and a door just appears. And she stumbles down the rabbit hole, she says. And then she's there. And someone's like, oh, you're new. Library card. So she gives him the ear. The fucking ear. And he does a pinprick in the Uh. earlobe. And it's funny, under the archway, there's a sign that says, science is a great antidote to the poison of enthusiasm and superstition. I have that noted, too. That's really funny. (laughs) She goes down the stairs. She's walking in the direction she thinks she's supposed to go. She sees Sneedon and she thinks he smiles like we're old pals. (laughs) Like Sneedon's just, he's a business professional. And if he has to kill you today for trespassing, he will. Okay. He will. And she goes up and she says, I need to see Sir Calendar. He says, Oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if he's in today. And then they talk about her needing to pay. Yeah. And he mentions um, if this isn't a suitable time, you can go through and wait a little longer, but I have to warn you, additional fees will be imposed if it goes unpaid much longer. And I'm like, how many more additional fees? Because I feel like they're probably insane. Yeah. And she just says, I'll sort it out some other time. Like, not even worrying about it. Basically says that she's not going to pay it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how could she? Where's she getting that money? Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. She just keeps walking. She says, you got to fake it till you make it around here because all these people are stuck up rats. But then she hears somebody say, hey there. It's a husky voice, she says. And she turns around and ends up finding a girl in the, a wheelchair directly above her on the ceiling. This is such an odd scene. It is. She just like wheels across the ceiling down the wall until she's in front of Ropa on the floor. 
<laughs> what? The girl's ex- explanation is this helps me concentrate. Gets the blood flow into the nut. I thought that was funny. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, Ropa's making a friend. She's making a friend with a gravity-defying hippie magician, basically. With short hair dyed silver with a purple fringe. Yep. And orange pants and green converse and a psychedelic tie-dye top that hurts the eyes. She's got tons of bracelets and a beaded necklace. Do you watch Grace and Frankie yet? Because the sounds yes, like I finished Frankie. It, it does. Oh, you 100%. finished it? I did. I have half of the last season left to go. Uh, the last episode made me cry. Ugh. I cried like a baby. Dolly Parton is in it. <gasps> of course she is. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to finish it soon. Well, we're slowly going through it. What we're doing is watching one episode of Sandman, which gives me nightmares, and then an episode of Grace and Frankie. <laughs> okay, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> to help me sleep again. You'll get there. Yeah. <sighs> so... This girl that we just met looks at Ropa and says, you're Melcy Mondoro's grandkid, aren't you? She's like, I've heard all about your gate-crashing antics. And I think that's interesting because we don't even know Gran's name. Yeah, this is our first time hearing Gran's name. And um, this is our first indication that Ropa's new friend is going to help her get into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Loving her great, great gate-crashing antics. That's a tongue twister. It is. And we find out the girl's name is Priyanka Kapoor. Mm-hmm. She's healing and herbology at the Kelvin Institute. Yeah. And she's really helpful because Ropa introduces herself and said she does ghost talking. And Priyanka's like, don't call it ghost talking. Call it practical necromancy because this place is a snob fest, she says. She just starts off from being a good friend, which makes me suspicious for some reason, but hopefully she won't turn on her. Hopefully this is just a genuine friendship that she's making out of nowhere. So she wants to see Ropa's magic, and she takes Ropa down to this room, I guess, that has nothing in it, and she asks Ropa to light a fire. The room they're in is the underhume, which made me laugh because the reason it's called the underhume is it's because it's the room under the room with the sarcophagus of David Hume. <laughs> so it's the underhume. <laughs> ah, it's hilarious. I thought it was funny too. But Priya, we're going to call her Priya because that's her name in the book for the rest of the time. Cause they're cute little besties now. They are. Um, she shows her how to do magic. Like at first she's like pressuring her to do it. Like you can do this. So do it. And rope up like uses the verbatim spell of her like ancient old man text that she has and it doesn't fucking work because spark of prometheus from the eternal flame of mount olympus i call upon thee to light this forge of mine doesn't resonate in the soul when you're 14 in a post-apocalyptic world so anyways it doesn't work yeah and then she tries to say it in a different voice yeah still doesn't work so she's like trying an announcer's voice Oh, hilarious and of course Priya makes fun of her saying your face cracks me up I'm sorry I'll stop it though like l- let me try it <laughs> she like kind of is like don't read Thompson he's like got a stick up his ass I'm paraphrasing and she gives her some other suggestions on what to read and then she lights a fire and it catches the book on fire Oh, man, that shit got crazy. Her incantation is just flame on, though. Yeah. So we're learning that it doesn't matter what words you use. 
that's how you feel about the words. But yeah, shit catches on fire. And when I say shit, I mean the book that Ropa rented from the library who will kill you if you trespass. Yeah. Sneedon's gonna have their ass. They're gonna get kicked out forever. Probably not. Luckily, Priya, like, cleans it up. Ropa says that it seems like she'll be able to pass it off. But I would just like to say that kids always think they can get away with things, and they're not as slick as they think they are. No. <laughs> and now they're going upstairs to get some grub. Yeah. Priya says, shall we go up for a munch? I'm famished. And that's so funny. A munch? Yeah, let's go. That ends <laughs> chapter 20. They start chapter 21 with... Uh, meeting apparently jomo is actually the cashier at the uh restaurant and Ropa's surprised that his job isn't that glamorous but he said that he was shelving books in a previous chapter so i'm wondering if he got demoted to do this because he's in trouble that's what i'm thinking and immediately he's like all formal miss moyo miss kapoor lovely to see you today and Ropa's like making fun of him and I'm just like, these fucking rules are fucking ridiculous. Is this the first time that they've talked since the incident? It seems like it's the first time, at least in person. Yeah, so she, he was like, you have to call me by my surname, it's the rules. And Ropa says the same rules your psycho dad was going to use to have me hung by the neck. And he's like, yet yeah, here we are, fresh as ever. And then he talks about how he got punished too that he has to work he basically has to work as a slave for the next two years no pay nothing and then he says my hair's gonna be gray before i make a single shilling so what is that like that confused me a little bit because two years if he's 14 he'll be 16 unless he's doing this apprenticeship without getting paid and then like i don't know i was so confused maybe he's just doing that thing where 14 year olds are dramatic as fuck oh makes sense yeah So, yeah, Jomo's in trouble. He's basically going to be an indentured servant for two years here at this little cafe. But they go to pay, and Priya cuts in and says, I'm going to pay for this. She's so skinny, I've got to fatten her up. And she says, it's cheap, and you can eat all you like. And this line really struck me because this library has not been cheap so far, so I wonder what that actually means. Like, is she really rich and, like, it is cheap to her? Or are we going to find out later that she put herself in financial distress covering Ropa's tab today? I think we'll be surprisingly shocked if we ever get back to the library. Right? (laughs) So we find out that there's salads, spring rolls, fruit, tropical fruit like mangoes, which they don't get anymore. And so then Ropa does what any smart American would do, even though I know she's not American. (laughs) She unzipped her bag and put a bunch of food in it. Oh, yeah. She had to pinch a bit for Gran and Isby, too. Yep. She says, I just don't want to have to come back here. This is for later when I'm doing my studying, but it's okay. Gran and Isby are hungry. Yep. While they're eating, Ropa's like, that spark you made, did you use the wrong incantation? Because, like, Priya did the spark and then it jumped from her fingers kind of out of control and lit the book on fire. And Priya's like, that's kind of a classic beginner's mistake to assume the magic lies in the words. Like, it's not because I used the wrong incantation. But fire wants to find somewhere to burn, so it will find something. That's why that room is empty it's for when shit like that happens so we're finding out that the magic that Ropa has access to is just really about intention yeah 
And it's a little unpredictable, it sounds, as well. Very unpredictable, especially if you're not trained. They talk more about, like, Ropa's magic, and Ropa just says, yeah, I just talked to Ghost, it's lame, and Priya's like, embrace it. Ropa really needs to try to like herself a little bit more. I feel like things will work out a little bit better for her in the magic department. Yeah. And this is when Ropa just is like, oh, you're a doctor. And Priya's like, I'm a healer, but same thing. And so Ropa shows her the picture of Mark and saying, there's a kid that's missing who's friends with him and I need to find him. And as soon as Priya sees the pictures, she books it. Yeah, and I'm like, she fucking knows something. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I'm like, is she hiding something, or does she just not want Ropa to blow their cover in front of everyone? She literally is just like, my, is it that time? Been nice seeing you, Ropa. Leaves. <laughs> this reminds <laughs> me of that scene in New Girl where Schmidt is teaching Jessica how to dice. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. funny. Anyway. Yeah, and Rope is like, oh, man, she didn't leave me any information, but then sees that there's a phone number on her hand. So now Rope is going to find Sir Calendar, and she runs into Mr. Mage, and he's like, oh, how are you doing? Are you enjoying our facilities? (laughs) And she's, she's snippy yeah now that you're not trying to hang me by the neck until i expire she's never gonna not bring that up never never and he's like a trifling incident protocol makes this place what it is this guy like if he pulled the stick out of his ass he'd probably just expire yeah he would that's all he's got so she reiterates that she needs to see sir calendar and he's like uh you can't really like fraternize with them and then he was like, oh, I heard you haven't settled your payment. Well, if you can't afford them, I have a way that we can help. And so then they go and they find Sir Calendar. He doesn't even tell her he's going to help. He says, I heard you haven't settled your subs. Of course, we both know you can't afford them. And he doesn't say another thing. He just says, come with me and drags her in there. And she watches this whole scene unfold. <laughs> like... What a dick. When he started taking her to room after he said that, I was like, oh, God, what's he going to do now? I was thinking he was going to get her kicked out, but he does end up getting away for her fees to be paid. But did he have to shame her to I do know. that? Because the way you said it would have been so much fucking nicer. And, like, yeah. the way that I would expect the father of my best friend to talk to me if I was 14 years old and, like, just found a cool-ass library that was going to help me explore my magic. Fucking yeah. dick. He's, like, sitting there bragging about his PhD and his fancy math that he does. Whatever. He got stuck in this job. He probably doesn't like it. Yeah, he probably doesn't. They finally end up at Sir Calendar's office after listening to this unbearable motherfucker who just loves himself. He's already in there with someone. Actually, a couple someones, we find out. But Dr. Mage, like goes right in there and says miss moyo would like to see you urgently and calendar's like am i supposed to know who that is and this is where i started finally clicking with me that dr mage wasn't harassing her although he was a dick about you can't afford it anyways he's actually trying to help her yeah because he brings up that calendar advocated for her so ipso facto she's appointed to him 
and he owes her membership fees. And of course, Dr. Mage, when Calendar pushes back, he's like, do you want us to consult the rule book? Because the rule book will just have you die for whatever. (laughs) (sighs) And then that's when Calendar said, oh, uh, I didn't realize. And he's like, the business of Apprentice is an outdated and ridiculous affair, but I'll humor you all the same. Pythagoras? Pythagoras? Pythagoras. Pythagoras. I love this joke because, like, two pages ago, Dr. Mage was bragging about being a mathematician and not a magician who would stoop so low. He does math. And Calendar is calling him Pythagoras, like, probably facetiously. Pythagoras is, like, a really well-known math dude from, like, ancient Greek times. Oh, that's that's really funny. It is really funny, right? Like, what a fucking nerdy joke. Both of you guys are nerds. <laughs> Hilarious. So funny. <laughs> and then now there's a loud huff from the woman who's been sighing and pacing all through the office of Sir Calendar. And I'm assuming it's a huff of laughter because that was a sick joke. That was. <laughs> if you get that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. So this woman's pissed, though. Like... I don't know what she wants Sir Calendar to do, but she's saying that he has no intention of doing the right thing in the matter that greatly affects small visagicians, which I assume are small business magicians um, up and down the country. So she has no choice but to take this to the committee. And once she's finished, Proposition 8 will not see the light of day. This is some really threatening politics. Yeah, and he's like, I can't stop it from being passed. And the woman's like, whatever. She takes her Patrick, whoever Patrick is, and leaves and tells him good day. And he replies, Miss Kavanaugh. And I'm like, the Miss Kavanaugh from the rich people's house on the TV? And it is her. It is her. And at that moment, Ropa shits her pants, asks for a picture, gets the picture. And Mr. Calendar looks at her uh, poorly. And this... So I have a note here, and this is kind of what I texted you the other day, but uh, this is what Chauvin says. You're a beautiful little creature, and you have the manners, too. I can always tell a good egg when I see one. Pity you're a bit too old now, but us girls must stick together. So I'm thinking, because Ropa explains that she looks better in the flesh, doesn't seem a day over 40, no pimple, pore on her face, luscious hair. So I'm thinking... Shobin sucks the life out of kids. I have the exact same conclusion after reading this. You're a bit too old now. And especially after we know how the milkman was like, you're a bit too old. You know, Uh there's a lot of people saying Ropa's a bit too old, but not implying what for. And honestly, the only other thing she could be implying is also not okay. So that's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And also, we could get deeper into this toward the last two chapters, but I'm wondering if, should I bring this back or should I talk about it now? Let's talk about it. Okay. So the mailman collected that girl. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if it's not just one person, but it's a ring of people. Right. Like the milkman wouldn't be the one absorbing the girl. Yeah. Like, if you have the, like, 
things that you need in life to be able to kidnap children and have nobody come after you, you're definitely not doing the dirty work yourself. Yeah. Right. You're not trading the weird jizz for the child in a weird midnight exchange. Right. You're not doing exactly. That. Exactly. And I wonder <laughs> if it's like a rich person thing. I bet it is. I believe that rich people are fucking weird. I, I believe that as well. The milkman has a whole ass name, the milk, mic, midnight milkman. Like, why does he need a trademark title if this isn't a whole ass business? And it's also very sexual. Like, my mom used to joke that, like, oh, I'm the milkman's child or whatever, yeah. or the post office man's child. But now I could be like, oh, you're the midnight milkman. Like, very <laughs> sexual, very sexual. With the weird milk, okay? With the we'll weird milk. It. <laughs> okay, let's jump back into page 158. XXII, which I think is 22. Indeed. Mr. Mage and Calendar drinking, and Mr. Mage leaves, and Calendar talks to Ropa about how she liked the book. And as he's talking to her about magic, he melts the ice that's in his glass, and she says the room gets really hot, and then the ice gets back together. That just really stuck with me, but she's also talking to him about Mark page 160 and she says I saw with my own eyes this is what's going on he was old but he was a kid and he smelled terrible and calendar says listen to me very very carefully all magicians in this country operate within a strict regulatory framework such idle talk as this threatens to bring Scottish magic into disrepute I probably said that wrong and I will not have it do you understand he is really just telling her that he doesn't give a fuck what's happening to these kids because if their story comes to light then the people he's involved in will look bad which is literally why the black book from epstein and however you pronounce her name but i can't get it out of my head that it's Gislaine. it looks like Gislaine, and i have this thing if uh, someone did crime something extremely fucked up they don't deserve to have their name pronounced correctly I I feel like Gislaine just goes with her profession, her chosen it, career choice. <laughs> it does. It does. Oh, man. But this is literally why her black book hasn't come out. Yeah. Because there are politicians who are like, it's going to make us look bad. Even if we weren't doing it, it's going to make the whole political party look bad. Well, let it look bad then. Yeah. Let Burn it. that shit to the ground. Burn it. <laughs> I love that sound that's on TikTok right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Burn it. <laughs> I like the one. There's one, uh, the Washington Post. I don't know if you follow them on TikTok. They're freaking hilarious. I but there's to. one they did with Joe, like a Joe Biden thing. They're like, oh, Joe Biden with something. And it's like, burn it. And then it's like, what Democrats are saying, what Joe Biden says. I said, burn. I'm going to have to send it to you. It's <laughs> you hilarious. I love Joe Biden memes. He's just so cute. Too. He okay. is. I'm sorry. With his little teeth, his little smile, his little facelift that he's had yes okay yes um i mean should he have been president i don't know but we shouldn't have been in a position to have to choose between him and trump either so not my problem not my fault i didn't make us go here yeah no (laughs) i'm here for the memes yeah always (laughs) he asks her what book she's reading now and she tells him the ones that priya told her to get and he goes oh those are those, those are great books yeah And he kind of goes more into his explanation of, like, the ice melting and reforming and the room getting hotter and colder. And basically, he's just explaining, like, the reason 
the room changes temperature when you change the form of the ice is because you have to like balance it basically. You got to make th things follow like natural laws. So to make ice water, you have to speed it up or like heat it up faster than normal. And that's why the room got hotter because he basically made the atmosphere the ice was in hotter so he could get water. Sounds like he is also a mathematician. So Mr. Mage should quit fighting with everyone. Dr. Mage is a freaking dickhead. He is. They end their conversation very fucking weirdly. Like, without warn warning, Calendar throws the glass at Ropa. It hits the floor, shattering ice all into a hundred pieces, she says. And then he says, clean that up, will you, girl? And I'm like, did he, like, throw the glass because they had, like, too much of, like, a tender moment and he had to reestablish dominance? Because, like, they were just having a normal conversation and that was very fucking weird. That's what I was wondering. And then also we – I skipped over it, but when she ran into Shobin, Shobin told her that Calendar was a misogynist. Yeah. And so I was also kind of wondering if it's because he's a misogynist and it was just like, oh, it's a woman. She can clean it up. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, he was like, oh, my God, I just had an intelligent conversation with a woman. Let me remind her where she stands. Yeah, that's what I think. Like, what the fuck? Well, that ends Chapter 22, and we're on Chapter 23. And Ropa's got a lot on her plate. She's juggling a lot at the Mo, she says. She's got the Ollie thing going on. She really wants to help. But she really needs to chase Guap to make rent. You know, she's just doing the best she can. I love how she talks. I love her lingo. Yeah, I love her just whole internal dialogue. I feel yeah. like I've said it before. She's got a little ADHD, I think. She thinks about a lot of things in a yeah. short amount of time. Yeah. She gets a text message from Priya, and she's, like, uh, asking to meet up. And she's like, dang, I wanted to watch a movie with Grand and Izwi, but she ends up meeting up with Priya. And Priya's like, oh, I'm so sorry about rushing off. There's stuff you can't talk about in public. And she's like, I've heard about what happened with those kids. She's seen it before. Ropa's like, why haven't you told anyone? She tried to tell Calendar, but he didn't help. And Priya says, Calendar's a bureaucrat, and he'd never do anything that might attract attention from London. Because I guess Scottish magic is in danger. Priya's got to show her something. And they start walking, like, through some different towns, Ropa says it's a shabby place. The concrete walls are, like, graffitied because nobody's really taking care of it. And she tells a story about how one of, like, the buildings, there's still pockmarks where bullets went through the wall because there were some separatists. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But they got smoked out of the building like rats, and then they all just got lined up, and they wouldn't take the king's piece and recant whatever shit they said and they were all shot and they're just walking past that that's just a thing they walk past every day sounds like a dictatorship yeah it really does it totally is god save the king long yeah. may he reign whatever it is yeah so as we're reading this we're getting a little bit more into kind of what happened but not really in depth but they keep walking in this area, and it's the area where Ropa told us at the beginning of the book that she can't go. She is not welcome here. Because <laughs> she's got some problems with these people. And honestly, it seems like it's easy to have problems with these people because they're just walking down the street on page 166, haven't even gotten to where they're going. And somebody's like, 
hey, beautiful, be a good little girl and come sit on my lap, some drunk man. And Ropa takes her caddy out and shoots him. He's bleeding from the mouth. And she tells him the next one's going through your eye if you so much as take a step, knobhead. And she basically says, that's just what you got to do. You got to let them know who's boss. So they'll run all over you down here. Yeah. And then some guy, random guy goes, if you knew who she'd be, you'd believe in her pal. And then Priya's like, where do you know these people from? And she's like, it's a long story. Yeah. But then she says, all right, Cameron. And I'm like, who's Cameron? We're just introducing new, new characters now. But they make it to a tent, to red and yellow tent, and they go in. And she notices as soon as they walk in that there's like a festering odor as soon as you walk in. But she doesn't really place it or put much sock into it. She describes it as something that you would get in a hospital. Mm -hmm. But she has been here before. Yeah. She used to work here. Yeah. Somebody says green hair now, is it? You look like a decaf hulk. Why'd you bring her here, Priya? And Priya's like, uh, what is going on here? A bit of a heads up would have been nice. And that's when we find out this guy is Rooster Rob. He runs the racket around town, they say. Um, they call themselves the clan, and they basically do, like, pickpocketing, moving merchandise, quote-unquote, and, you know, other fun stuff like that. Yeah, so in the beginning of the book, when Ropa was talking about breaking into people's houses, this is who she did it with. Yeah. And she says here that Red Rob trades in anything except human flesh. So he's got a code. A code. And we find out on 169 that they stole her bike because she left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they literally just, like, grabbed it and threw it in a pile of junk. He's like, you can have it back. We didn't sell it because we knew you'd come back. But Ropa's really surprised, like, this is the reception she's getting She's thinking normally when people quit, like, they're not allowed to live, let alone come back and get their bike back. Yeah, so she thinks that Rob is chilling out as he gets older. And he's starting to drink, and she says that he didn't used to drink. Mm -hmm. And Priya says that she comes here to work every once in a while to help people who can't afford health care. Yeah, and she mentions to Rob that Ropa has seen another kid similar to the one they have there, and she might be able to help. They bring the kid over, and Ropa's like, you might want to change her nappy, and Rob says, if only. And the girl turns around, and she realizes not only does she know this girl, she used to babysit her, and it looks like she's been sucked out like Mark. All her life has been sucked out. Yep, and she used to be really close friends with her mom, and so now she feels really bad. And she feels really extra bad because Ropa's job used to be, like, slipping in and casing the joint before, like, they did their real robbery. And after she left, because she was, like, the smallest person, the person who took her role was Katie. So this all happened to Katie because Katie went into a house that they told her to go into. She never came out, and they all left her there. So Ropa feels really bad because she's thinking that wouldn't have happened to Katie if she would have been there because she would have been the one that went in the house. But this does mean she has a lead on the house that is sucking the life out of the kids. Good but bad. Silver lining. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, they uh, said that they lost her forever, but then someone found her wandering in a daze by the flesh market a few weeks later and they brought her home. Yeah. 
And Rope is just like, okay, give me the address. I'll square it. And Rob's like trying to get her to come back, but she's not having it. Yeah. And he offers her double her take to a fifth. And she so, says no. Yeah, she's not going back. And it doesn't really end this chapter telling us she gets the address, but we know she gets the address. Yeah. We start chapter 24 with her remembering her grandpa and how he used to always smell like gin. And I really like this because I really like when we get a sense of her past and where she came from. Yeah. She is talking about how he would always be in front of the radio listening to shit about Hibs, which is a football team, soccer team, whatever you want to call it. She says, that's why I love the green shirts, even though I'm on the wrong side of the city, because it's serious over there. Uh, she used to go to get matches, excuse me, their matches, with him, and she remembers being swept up in the crowd, sitting on his shoulders. She's like, we lost more than we won, but it's okay if you're standing and cheering and having fun. Yeah, we also learned on page 174 how Gran and Gramps met. Apparently, his opening line was, did you know there's golden sewage? And Ropa thinks that's epic, and apparently Granted too, because they ended up together. And Ropa goes on to think that Gran is like a lonely swan, and then we find out kind of why they broke up. I mean, she says we were happy until Gramps lost the house on gambling. And then she goes on to talk about how he did this a lot, like not losing the house, but he would lose money on gambling. But normally it was okay because he would come back in a few weeks and he would have won a little bit back and have bought some cakes or some wine and won everybody back over. But then the day that he lost the house, the sheriff came to kick them out and Gran wasn't even angry. She just bowed her head like she knew it would happen all along. She packed their things into the car that they had and didn't take Gramps with them. She told him that he had to make his own way from there on. And then when Gramps was dying and they went and saw him, he said, I was sorry. And Gran just kind of didn't say anything. And they said the last thing that he left them was a large medical bill. Gran cracks me up because they end up like cremating him and scattering him like he wanted. But she says she would have rather flush him down the toilet. Maybe he could find his precious gold in the sewers. And Roper remembers her laughing at that but she couldn't tell if she was serious or not and I'm like she was fucking serious (laughs) I thought that was funny and after her grandpa died that's when she started to see people Mm -hmm. but she said that he never came back she also talks about how her real granddad before this one was a memory keeper and it's someone who just remembers every single second of their existence from conception basically That sounds Sounds miserable, right? But um, she ends this chapter hoping that her gramps found his way to the land of the tall grass, even though she wasn't able to help him get there. Now, I'm wondering, do you think all ghosts need help to get to the land of the tall grass, or do you think they know how to get there? Well, that's a hard question to answer, because I feel like not all spirits turn into ghosts. I feel like spirits that can't find it or don't want to leave for some reason become ghosts. So I would say not all ghosts. I would say no ghosts know how to get there because if they did, they wouldn't have become a ghost in the first place. True that. Maybe. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think maybe some need help and some probably don't. Like if some that like like Mrs. Drummond unfinished a business. Mm-hmm. But I think since Gramps was probably really embarrassed about what happened and maybe he felt like he didn't deserve to come back, mm-hmm. he just made his way there. Maybe. Chapter 25 starts with this whole paragraph is just fucking hilarious, honestly. She says, I want to go in swashbuckling and see what's happening at this place Rooster Rob told us about, but Priya's been stalling. First, it's like, oh, I have a J-O-B and I work long hours. And now it's, I'm at a conference in Aberdeen. Wait for me till the weekend, but time's a-wasting and the whole thing's boiling my piss now. <laughs> like, so fucking hilarious. And I'm like, you should have just fucking waited. She should have, but we knew with this first paragraph on 178 that there was no fucking way she was going to wait. No, because she needs to get back to getting money, so she has to find Ollie. Yep, because she can't get back to paying jobs until she has finished her pro bono work, unfortunately. Yep. The second paragraph, or I guess maybe it's the third paragraph on page 178, is about the self charging phones with kinetic energy like when you're walking and i'm still like hello why do we not have this in 2020 this feels like science get with it yeah yeah it's cute because jomo texts her and he's like when are you coming back to the library and she says soon with a smiley face Aw, they're besties they are back at their Kara on page 179 and she's cleaning her bike because she finally got it back and she's like oh i have half a mind to ask rob for a new pair of boots because since she's been walking because they stole her bike. Yeah, they're all messed up. They're all worn in. Yeah. And it's cold outside. Like, it's been snowing. And she happens to reach into her pocket. And we kind of flew past this in a previous chapter. But Calendar kind of condescendingly gave her a scarf. Like, you look poor. Here's a scarf that I've had sitting around forever. And Rope is still hanging on to it, even though it's, like, kind of ratty. And she feels like he just, like threw this scrap at her but she's never been given a gift so she still has it but it's cold now and she's thinking about the scarf so she goes in to see if gran will fix the scarf so she can maybe sell it or something and gran is like running her hands over it and like gasps and i'm like what the fuck what's going on here seems like gran thinks she made this scarf she's talking about how good the like cashmere yarn is and all this stuff so I wrote a note here, and I think that maybe Gran and Calendar worked together or maybe had a romantic relationship or somehow knew each other. Exactly. That was my note right here. She knows Calendar. How did she come to know him? They yeah. obviously have done some work together somehow. And I guess my question is, why hasn't Calendar brought up that he knows her? Because Gran couldn't have brought up that she knows Calendar because... Ropa has not told her she's been in the library. No. But Calendar knows that she's, oh, they have different last names. Maybe he doesn't know. Anyway, I really liked uh, the second to last paragraph. There is we and Ropa are friends again. She's going to walk her to school. And she says they didn't stop fighting until Gran was like, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And I'm like, we got a Reagan quote in here. <laughs> We got a. I had to Google it to make sure, but we got a Reagan quote in here. That's funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Anyway, she ends up taking her little sister and her friend. No, she's not taking them to school. She's picking them up. 
sitting out there waiting for them and they all come out and god I fucking hate the next few pages because I imagine this is what public school really is like but she sees Iswi's teacher before she sees Iswi and the teacher like motions for her to come over and my first thought was like Iswi was taken but then like the next sentence that was my thought too (laughs) panic I like my stomach just dropped but the next sentence she pops out and thank god she hasn't been taken yet there's still a third of the book to go but her teacher wants to talk to Ropa about how Iswi is too far advanced for her class and so she gets bored during class and distracts all the other kids and that's Ropa's problem and not the teacher's problem yeah so she's wanting Iswi to go up a grade to be challenged she's not even offering to let her go up a grade she's basically telling Ropa that if she doesn't go to some high paid tuition schools in these brochures that she hands her then Iswi's gonna end up just like Ropa she says, give it some thought. I heard you were once just as gifted, too. They say you were a walking encyclopedia. And Ropa's like, the veiled implication that my little sister might end up just like me if I don't do something great on me. And so, she is uh, stressed out because she doesn't have the money. She can't afford to put her in a better school. Yeah, and I'm like, so you have to go and like either tell your kid to slow down because everybody else is not as fast as them or go broke trying to put them in a private school yeah (sighs) makes me sad yeah then we are on chapter 26 i do believe yep page 184 she ended up getting home finishing working on her bike she's ready to freaking hit the road she's got to give her bike a spinneroo so she uh texts everyone she texts jomo she texts priya and tells Priya she's going on a recon mission to Rooster Robs, even though she knows she's not supposed to go by herself. Hindsight, at least she told someone where she was. Yeah. And Priya says, be careful, and tells her not to make a move until she gets back. But in my head, I'm like, Ropa's already halfway fucking there. Yeah. You can't tell Ropa anything. Yeah. So um, she heads out. She's going. As she's going, she's kind of describing the scenery as she always is. She's talking about how it went from, like, pretty posh, but then apparently it, like, got so ghetto that if you just gave somebody a dirty look, they would gut you. And so all the rich people, like, moved up and barricaded up in the more fancy areas. And she mentions that they were going to rename the city Fife 2.0 with the O pronounced ew. Ew. Why are rich people the fucking worst? Two point ill. Yeah. God, they would say it just like that. <laughs> ah. So she finds the house and it's not fucking hard. Like the first literally one, two, three pages of this chapter are just describing how not nice this neighborhood is and how the graffiti adds a little color to the terrain, which like that just tells you it hasn't been upkept in a while. And then she finds a super nice house, hedges trimmed, driveway cleared of snow. And she says, yep, that's a sore thumb in this neck of the woods. It's just like begging you to rob it. Yeah. And it doesn't have an address. Instead, it has names. So on the pillar to the left, it says Arthur. The one on the right says Lodge. Arthur Lodge. 
And she's thinking, I can't blame Rob and them for trying to score here. It looks like a good spot to hit, but this looks way too fucking obvious. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like a trap, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? It does. She can't does. shake the feeling. She's been here before, but she can't place when, why, or who for, though. She just feels like something is off. She's like looking around, looking in the windows. There's going to be a lapse in security. Houses are just puzzles to be broken into. You can get into all of them. She doesn't really see anything right off the back, so she looks through the front curtains, and she sees a woman there, a woman she would recognize anywhere, and it's her fucking mom. So she runs through the gates, throws her bike in the yard, and gets excited to see her mom, and she sees that her mom's walking away from the window, so she runs faster and faster and she leaps to the stairs. The door swings open. She runs to be with her, and the world opens up underneath her. Gosh, when I first read that it was her mom, I was like, oh, shit, her mom is sucking the life out of these kids. This house wasn't a trap. Her mom's an evil witch. But That's what I thought. She runs to the door and falls through the floor. So, whew. This guy really knows how to take us on a roller coaster, doesn't he? Yeah. So this is where the fun begins. Yeah, we're in chapter 27 with her falling through the hole after the front door. And, like, she lands with a lot of pain. She basically belly flops onto a hard floor. Ugh. She makes sure nothing's broken, but she does mention that her knees hurt like she's 95. And that just gave me a chuckle because I'm saying, like, 35. <laughs> and she says that she feels something sticky. And so she thinks she has blood on her face. So she keeps touching her face and gets out her phone to make sure that, like, to check it. And the screen's cracked, but it's working. So she turns on the light, the flash, which she calls a torch. And she doesn't see blood, but she just feels the stickiness. Yuck. I actually forgot that I read that part until just now. And now remembering them feeding the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, she's just, like, walking further into the dark. And as I'm reading this... I was thinking, was her mom an illusion? So the house is alive? Like, yeah. It's very fucking gross here, though. She's talking about how the walls are like honeycombs and gooey, and there's a gross scent, like rotting flesh. She says it's not the same odor she smelt coming off of Mark and Katie. It's something older. It's overpowering and more sinister. Ugh, it sounds Ugh. so gross. So she's scared. She wants to call her friends, but she's got no signal on her phone. There's and there's no reception. There's no door. She said, this is like Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And she's like, I'm convinced it's my mom, but why would she be here? And then a ladder comes down. Yeah. And she freaking climbs it. I mean, she doesn't have any choice, but fuck, that would scare the shit out of me. Yeah. And she finds an old man in a butler's uniform. Sitting there drinking some tea, watching her struggle. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So he's like, trespasser, what shall we do with you? Hey, she's always getting in trouble for quote-unquote trespassing. Yeah. And so she explains to him, I saw a woman through the window. I know her. If you show me to her, we can clear this up. Mm -hmm. And, like, this guy's an asshole. He is such a fucking asshole. He's, he's like, like, people see all sorts of things through the window. Ugh. Money, gold, sex, sweeties, doesn't matter. They keep them all the same. And she's like, what? And then we find out it's not a window. It's a mirror of your innermost desire. 
And he's like, your mother is a trap. The ones who don't have the discipline to resist their base desires fall in. And once they're here, we teach them a lesson. And Rope is like, I won't say anything to anybody. Just let me go. And this creeper is like, okay, well then just leave. So Rope tries to run out into the front yard. And then all of a sudden it feels like somebody's stabbing in her abdomen. Like every step forward she takes, it feels like somebody is just knife in her gut. And eventually she turns around and goes back in the house and the pain stops. And the dude's like, good girl, you're very clever. And he ends up saying, you didn't think he'd let you get away like that, did you? Like, he? Who the fuck is he? I'm scared. Yeah, and he's like, you invaded the master's home. And she's like, I'm not here to steal anything. Like, obviously not. They're the ones that tricked her to go to the door. Yeah. And he's telling her, He's tied you to us now, tied you by your greedy little insides. From now on, if you exit this door, you can only go as far as the length of your intestines. Ugh, so creepy. And then the butler, like, holds out his gloved hands and, like, starts pulling on something. She can't see what it is. And then she says she feels a jolt of pain on her insides. Like, her insides are rushing towards him, and she can't fight it. And she ends up, like, being forced to go over to where he is. And I'm like, holy shit. This is scary. So now she's like, I screwed up bigly. Broke yeah. every rule I know. Rushed in like a fool. And she's sitting there, like, having this weird conversation with this butler guy who is also having a conversation with somebody who is not there. And he's like, yes, of course, you're right. I should introduce myself to her and tells her that his name is Wilson. And she's like, my friends are going to come. You know, classic trying to make the villain scared thing. And Wilson's like, let them come. She won't tell them her name. So Wilson ends up making up a name and calls her Sunshine. And he does this weird thing where he rubs his ear when he talks. Yeah, he rubs his shoulder and his ear together, you know, with his head all like tilted over. It's just freaking me out all over again. Yeah, she can see a dark shadow in the corner of her eyes move in this house. Wilson's kind of mumbling to himself, of course, the work must never stop. With your permission, I'll give her one small task to perform before sending her to bed. Yes, I know you have plans for them all, of course. The bicycle will be cleared by me personally tonight. And this shit is fucking creepy. They're obviously about to make her, like, some little indentured servant. And, or slave, maybe they never intend to let her go. And... All of the victims that we know about up to this point are way younger than Ropa. And that's mm-hmm. what I can't get out of my head because this is fucking scary to me. I imagine it's really fucking scary to a 14-year-old. But what about an 8-year-old? They don't know anything. No. And he takes away her weapons. hmm And asks her to mop up her mess. Yep. And she does, and Wilson's like, excellent. He likes you to be obedient. Like, this is just so fucking creepy. creepy. Another line on 197. There's a good girl. I hate it. Disgusting. And he's saying, it's time for bed. It's getting late. We have an early start tomorrow. The milkman is coming. Yep. And he takes her back to her bedroom. The shadow thing is still, like, lurking around. So hopefully we find out soon what that creepy fucker is. It would be nice if it was, like, a guardian angel and it was somebody, like, stalking Wilson to take him out and not, like, the creepy guy that he's talking to. But who knows? So she gets taken to a room Mm -hmm. and Wilson says, don't let the bed bugs bite. And once he shuts the door, she reaches for the doorknob 
And as she turns it, a samurai sword slices through her gut. Ugh. So she or it feels just, like it. Yeah. So she stops. And then a little girl is in there and says, don't, you'll only make it worse. Ugh. So there's another little girl, another victim. Her name's Grace. We find out on the first page of chapter 28. Yep. And she was just going home from a plate date and she saw a teddy bear waving at her from the window. That's really sad. Rope is asking her about Ollie, of course, always eyes on the prize. And Grace tells her she's never actually seen any little boys here. It's you, me, Wilson, and him sleeping below me. And I want to know who him sleeping below her is. Me too, because he's not little. Ropa doesn't say shit about that. and No, but Ropa does hear wailing coming from the wall. Yeah, and Grace doesn't hear that, though. So why can't Grace hear that? Why can't Ropa see the man sleeping or the thing sleeping under Grace's bed? What is going on in this creepy-ass house? Yeah. And so Grace ends up sleeping with Ropa because she's scared. Mm-hmm. And then um, they get woken up early in the morning or at night. I don't even know if, like, light comes to this house or if it's always in the dark. Yeah. It, it, there's probably some magic to let, like, let it seem like whatever – time of day they want it to be outside yeah you know because it controls what people see when they look through the window yeah into the house so it makes sense that they control what you could control what you see when you look out of the house but it's wilson waking him up crack of dawn with some creepy handmaid's tale attire with some thick fabric a little cap and an apron and clogs yeah Ropa puts it all on but keeps her pants on because she's like, I'm not stupid. Yeah. She says Grace has one too and she looks like a little French maid in it. And I'm just super fucking creeped out. Yeah. Wilson's telling them that he's going to teach them how to make the master's breakfast. Weekdays, he takes a bowl of oats, two slices of toast, one boiled egg, and a cup of black tea. Ropa is just going through the motions and like wishing this shit was a dream, but it's fucking not. And Wilson is, like, crazy. He, like, one sugar in the tea. Everything has to be perfect. And she's mentioning how clumsy he is and how he uses both hands to pick up each object as though he's a child with small fingers. And I'm like, hmm, was he kidnapped as a child? Has he been here his whole life? That's what I'm wondering. Sunlight is streaming in, and that's when they see an umbilical cord from their belly. It becomes visible, but it's still like ghostly so they can't really see it she says it looks like an old telephone handset cord yeah and it's from hers and grace's and wilson's belly all connected to the house so do you remember last chapter when wilson says that he had the house had trapped them by their greedy little insides and you can't go further than your intestine is this their intestines oh i wonder rope is like tugging on it to see if she can remove it but she can't She says it looks like it's going through her navel to her insides. She's mad that Calendar didn't help her when she told him about the children. And then she's like, why didn't I just stick to delivering messages? So she's kind of just like thinking back to all of her decisions and regretting them. Yeah. They finished the breakfast and then Wilson's like, oh, well, he's not here now. Throw all of this shit away. And Ropa's like, okay, well, it's kind of like digging a hole and then filling it back in. That was fucking annoying. 
And then Wilson offers them like scraps of food, even though they threw away a whole breakfast and Robo won't even eat that. She's like, you don't eat food when you've been kidnapped. I will survive on what I brought in my backpack. Ballsy. Yeah. And then we get into the really creepy shit of this chapter. Okay. Some time passes. It's late that night and the doorbell rings and Wilson looks gleeful as fuck. And he opens up the door. It's midnight and some dude is there. And Wilson's got this old-fashioned glass milk bottle, and it's got this milky fluid in it, swirling like a turbulent cloud, and it's glowy. She says it's got a kind of ever-essence coursing through it. And then there's a big man behind Wilson. He's got a thick beard and looks like a mountain man dressed in a crisp white uniform. He wears a white cap with a black brim and a bow tie. So he's like a big-ass old-time milkman. Yeah, and Wilson says, say hello to Midnight Milkman, children. He's come to collect his prize. Which one of these two pretty ladies would you like? And so Grace ends up hiding behind Ropa. (sighs) That doesn't hide her, though. The Milkman points at her, and that's the one he wants. And Ropa's like, no. And Wilson's like, stay in your lane, sunshine. You're all right. Nothing to worry your pretty little head over. He likes them young, you see. Older bodies have nothing to give. That succulent youth is what he needs. Come on, Grace. Do as you're told. It's rude to keep grown-ups waiting. This is such groomer language right here. Yeah, it is. Uh, So this milkman is obviously like the middleman for whoever's actually draining the kids. Yeah. Who you think is that Kavanaugh lady. Yeah. Uh, Ropa tries to keep them from taking Grace, but it doesn't work. Ropa's even begging Wilson not to take her. Yeah. And it's not like the milkman just tosses Grace into this sack. He zip ties her, duct tapes her lips. It, it's just like, oh, God, this little seven, eight-year-old girl is being kidnapped. It's terrifying. He just throws her in the sack, throws the sack over his shoulder, and takes off on his milk float. And Ropa shouts, hang in there, I'll find you. Then Wilson shuts the door. Ugh. I I feel like it's just extra bothersome that the milk cart is, like, floral painted. Like, it's supposed to be cheerful. Yeah. At the bottom of 205, after Wilson shuts the door, he says, come on, sunshine, it's over and done with now. No one ever comes back from the farm. And we start 206 with him saying, it's time to feed the house. Ugh. This is the milk shit that they just got. And he's like, don't just stand there, open it. And she does. It's a trap door in the kitchen floor. Ugh. So she opens it up and he starts pouring this disgusting, sticky white liquid down the trap door hatch. And he says, I want you to watch very carefully. You've got to eyeball it. Half a bottle should do for now. And she says that the whole thing is disgusting. She's just imagining like a baby suckling and yuck so they only give him about half a bottle she says the milk in quotations floats down slowly and wilson says there you go you look after us we look after you drink the nectar and then he pours the rest of it she says she hears a sigh of disappointment from the walls and wilson says i know i know there'll be more next week She says the house burps and a foul odor escapes from the hole into their faces. So she closes the damn trap door in a hurry. And that's how we end our reading. Ugh. Disgusting. Fucking gross. So the house is definitely alive. 
So this, is he talking to the house or is he talking to the shadow? Is the shadow the house? Does he see the shadow? He's got to be talking to the house. The house has yeah. to be the master. But then why would they make it porridge? Yeah, true. Okay, there's a lot of questions unanswered here. Is Calendar the master? I don't think Calendar is the master. I no. think Calendar is going to soften his ice cold heart and help her eventually, but she's going to have to get him to stop being such a bureaucratic dickhead. Actually, now that I'm saying that out loud, I bet you that when Calendar and her grand knew each other, he probably failed to help her grand in some way that screwed over her, long, her life in the long run. So then he'll be like indebted to Ropa and have to help her. Oh, maybe yeah. that'll happen. I can see that. I don't have any questions written down for you. I, I am flabbergasted by those last two chapters and I literally couldn't even think after I read them. Like, that's how I felt. And I feel like it'll be interesting to see where Kavanaugh plays in, Calendar, and everyone else. I am already anticipating being sad for Ropa having to discover that her role model, potentially one of her favorite role models, is a soul-sucking demon, legitimately. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully that's not it, but all signs point to that's what it is. How does she look better in person than on camera? She's sucking the souls out of kids. Yeah. And I hope little Izwi doesn't get caught up in this creepy-ass house. How is Ropa going to get out? You think Jomo's going to figure it out? You think it's going to be Priya? You think they're going to go tell Calendar? Who's going to save her? I think it's Priya. You think so? Uh-huh. I do. <sighs> I think it's Priya and Jomo. How do you get your intestines unhooked from a house? I don't know. And she's too old to go to the milkman. So yeah. she's gonna be, is she going to be stuck there like Wilson? Did Wilson get there when he was about her age? Yeah, he must have been brought in when he was a little too old, and that's why he's just there forever. Ugh, I don't know. I hope she doesn't have to, like, cut out her intestine cord to get out of there. Yeah. How could you even cut off a ghost cord anyway? You need magic. She needs more magic. She does. Alrighty, well, do you have any more questions? I don't. For me? Well, I guess in two weeks we'll be back here to talk about the rest of the book. I'm excited. Me too. I'm also scared. Yeah. Shit's getting fucked up for Ropa. And I know there's a second book after this, so who knows if it's even going to get resolved in the first one. Who knows if we're just going to end on a cliffhanger and it's all up in the air. I would be so mad, honestly. I'm nervous. 